Chapter fourteen of the Seaboard Parish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeff Blanchard. The Seaboard Parish by George MacDonald. Chapter fourteen. More about Kilkhaven. Our dining room was one story below the level at which we had entered the parsonage for as i have said the house was built into the face of the cliff just where it sunk nearly to the level of the shores of the bay while at dinner on the evening of our arrival i kept looking from the window of course i saw before me first a little bit of garden mostly in turf then a low stone wall beyond over the top of the wall the blue water of the bay then beyond the water all alive with light and motion the rocks and sand hills of the opposite side of the little bay, not a quarter of a mile across. I could likewise see where the shores went sweeping out and away to the north, with rock after rock standing far into the water as if gazing over the awful wild, where there was nothing to break the deadly waste between Cornwall and Newfoundland. But for the moment I did not regard the huge power lying outside so much as the merry blue bay between me and those rocks and sand hills. If I moved my head a little to the right, I saw, over the top of the low wall already mentioned, and apparently quite close to it, the slender yellow mast of a schooner, her mainsail hanging loose from the gaff, whose peak was lowered. We must, I thought, be on the very harbour quay. When I went out for my walk with Winnie, I had turned from the bay, and gone to the brow of the cliffs overhanging the open sea on our own side of it. When I came down to breakfast in the same room next morning, I stared. The blue had changed to yellow. The life of the water was gone. Nothing met my eyes but a wide expanse of dead sand. You could walk straight across the bay to the hills opposite. From the look of the rocks, from the perpendicular cliffs on the coast, I had almost, without thinking, concluded that we were on the shore of a deep water bay. It was high water, or nearly so. Then, and now, when I looked westward, it was over a long reach of sands, on the far border of which the white fringe of the waves was visible, as if there was there hitherto and further towards us they could not come. Beyond the fringe lay the low hill of the Atlantic. To add to my confusion, when I looked to the right, that is, up the bay towards the land, there was no schooner there. I went out at the window, which opened from the room upon the little lawn, to look and then saw in a moment how it was. Do you know, my dear, I said to my wife, we are just at the mouth of the canal we saw as we came along. There are gates and a lock just outside there. The schooner that was under the window last night must have gone in with the tide. She is lying in the basin above now. Oh, yes, Papa, Charlie and Harry broke in together. We saw it go up this morning. We've been out ever so long. It was so funny. Charlie went on. Everything was funny with Charlie. To see it rise up like a jack-in-the-box, and then slip into the quiet water through the other gates. And when I thought about the waves tumbling and breaking away out there, and the wide yellow sands between, it was wonderful, which was what Charlie meant by funny. To see the little vessel lying so many feet above it all, in a still plenty of repose, gathering strength, one might fancy to rush out again, when its time was come into the turmoil beyond, and dash its way through the breasts of the billows. After breakfast we had prayers as usual, 
and after a visit to Connie whom I found tired but wonderfully well, I went out for a walk by myself, to explore the neighbourhood, find the church, and, in a word, do something to shake myself into my new garments. The day was glorious. I wandered along a green path, in the opposite direction from our walk the evening before, with a firwood on my right hand, and a belt of feathery tamarisk on my left, behind which lay gardens sloping steeply to a lower road, where stood a few pretty cottages. Turning a corner I came suddenly in sight of the church, on the green down above me, a sheltered yet commanding situation, for, while the hill rose above it, protecting it from the east, it looked down the bay, and the Atlantic lay open before it. All the earth seemed to lie behind it, and all its gaze to be fixed on the symbol of the infinite. It stood as the church ought to stand, leading men up the mount of vision, to the verge of eternal, to send them back with their hearts full of the strength that springs from hope, by which alone the true work of the world can be done. And when I saw it rejoice to think that once more I was favoured with a church that had a history. Of course it is a happy thing to see new churches built wherever there is need of such. But to the full idea of the building, it is necessary that it should be one in which the hopes and fears, the cares and consolations, the loves and desires of our forefathers should have been roofed, where the hearts of those through whom our country has become that which it is, from whom not merely the life-blood of our bodies, but the life-blood of our spirits, has come down to us, whose existence and whose effort has made it possible for us to be that which we are, have before us worshipped that spirit from whose fountain the whole torrent of being flows, whoever pours fresh streams into the wearing waters of humanity, so ready to settle down into a stagnant repose. Therefore, I would far rather, when I may, worship an old church whose very stones are a history of how men strove to realize the infinite, compelling even the powers of nature into the task, as I soon found on the very doorway of this church, where the ripples of the outspread ocean and grotesque imaginations of the monsters of its deeps, fixed as it might seem forever in stone, gave a distorted reflex from the little mirror of the artist's mind of that mighty water, so awful, so significant to the human eye, which yet lies in the hollow of the father's palm, like the handful that the weary traveller lifts from the brook by the way. It is in virtue of the truth that went forth in such and such like attempts that we are able to hold our portion of the infinite reality which God only knows. They have founded our church for us, and such a church as this will stand for the symbol of it, for here we too can worship the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of Sydney, of Hooker, of Herbert. This church of Kilkhaven, old and worn, rose before me, a history in stone, so beaten and swept about by the wild west wind, for whose path the Atlantic's level powers cleave themselves into chasms, and so streamed upon and washed and dissolved by the waters lifted from the sea and borne against it on the upper tide of the wind, that you could almost fancy it one of those churches that have been buried for ages beneath the encroaching waters, lifted again by some mighty revulsion of nature's heart into the air of the sweet heavens, there to stand marked forever with the tide flows of the never-worlds scooped, 
and hollowed and worn like aeonian rocks that have slowly but forever responded to the swirl and eddy of the wearing waters so from the most troublous of times will the church of our land arise in virtue of what truth she holds and in spite if she rises at all of the worldliness of those who instead of seeking her service have sought and gained the dignities which if it be good that she have it in her power to bestow them need the corrective of a sharply wholesome persecution which of late times she has not known but god knows and the fire will come into its course first in the form of just indignation it may be against her professed servants and then in the form of the furnace seven times heated in which the true builders shall yet walk unheard save as to their mortal part i looked about for some cottages where the sexton might be supposed to live and spied a slated roof nearly on a level with the road at a little distance in front of me i could at least inquire there before i reached it however an elderly woman came out and approached me she was dressed in a white cap and a dark colored gown on her face lay a certain repose which attracted me she looked as if she had suffered but had consented to it and therefore could smile his smile lay near the surface a kind word was enough to draw it up from the well where it lay shimmering you could always see the smile there whether it was born or not but even when she smiled in the very glimmering of that moonbeam you could see the deep still perhaps dark waters under oh if one could but understand what goes on in the souls that have no words perhaps no inclination to set it forth what had she endured how had she learnt to have that smile always near what had consoled her and yet left her her grief turned it perhaps into hope should i ever know she drew near me as if she would have passed me as she would have done had i not spoken i think she came towards me to give me the opportunity of speaking if i wished but she would not address me good morning i said can you tell me where to find the sexton well sir she answered with a gleam of the smile brightening underneath her old skin as it were i be all the sexton you be likely to find this morning sir my husband he be gone out to see one old squire trevagus hounds as was took ill last night so if you want to see the old church sir you'll have to be content with an old woman to show you sir i shall be quite content i assure you i answered will you go and get the key i have the key in my pocket sir for i thought that would be what you'd be after sir and by the time you come to my age sir you'll learn to think of your old bones sir i beg your pardon for making so free for mayhaps says i to myself he be the gentleman as be come to take mr shepherd's duty for him be ye now sir all this was said in a slow sweet subdued tone nearly of one pitch you would have felt that she claimed the privilege of age with a kind of mournful gaiety but was careful and anxious even not to presume upon it and therefore gentle as a young girl yes i answered my name is walton i have come to take the place of my friend mr shepherd and of course i want to see the church well she be a beautiful old church 
Some things, I think, sir, grows more beautiful the older they grows. But it ain't us, sir. I'm not so sure of that, I said. What do you mean? Well, sir, there's my little grandson in the cottage there. He'll never be so beautiful again. Them children do be the loves. But we all grows uglier as we grows older. Churches don't seem to, sir. I'm not so sure about all that, I said again. They did say, sir, that I was a pretty girl once. I'm not much to look at now. And she smiled with such a gracious amusement that I felt at once that if there was any vanity left in this memory of her past loveliness, it was sweet as the memory of their old fragrance left in the withered leaves of the roses. But it do not matter, do it, sir? Beauty is only skin deep. I don't believe that, I answered. Beauty is as deep as the heart at least. Well, to be sure, my old husband do say I be as handsome in his eyes as ever I be. But I beg your pardon, sir, for talking about myself. I believe it was the old church. She set us on to it. The old church didn't lead you into any harm then, I answered. The beauty that is in the heart will shine out of the face again some day. Be sure of that. And after all, there is just the same kind of beauty in a good old face that there is in an old church. You can't say that the church is so trim and neat as it was the day that the first blast of the organ filled it as with a living soul. The carving is not quite so sharp. The timbers are not quite so clean. There is a good deal of mould and worm-eating and cobwebs about the old place. Yet both you and I think it more beautiful now than it was then. Well, I believe it is, as nearly as possible. The same with an old face. It has got strained and weather-beaten and worn. But if the organ of truth has been playing on the inside of the temple of the Lord, which St. Paul says our bodies are, there is in the old face, though both form and complexion are gone, just the beauty of the music inside. The wrinkles and the brownness can't spoil it. A light shines through it all, that of the indwelling spirit. I wish we all grew old, like the old churches. She did not reply, but I thought I saw in her face that she understood my mysticism. We had been walking very slowly, had passed through the quaint lynch gate, and now the old woman had got the key in the lock of the door, whose archway was figured and fashioned as I had described above, with a dozen mouldings or more, most of them carved so curiously. End of chapter 14